Hey, we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul writing to the Corinthians, he says, And I, brethren, I couldn't speak to you, church. This is a church he'd been around for about three and a half years. He's done everything he can do. I mean, this is the Apostle Paul. There's a lot of people, and I shared a little bit about this last week, that there's, there's a lot of, of people. I've been a part of small churches, this one, and I've been a part of incredibly large churches, some of the largest churches in America. Uh, Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, over 30,000 people at the church. You know, Calvary Chapel, Coast, or, or, uh, Fort Lauderdale. You know, you know, at the time, you know, that I left, it was around 12,000 people. It went up to around 22,000 at one time. I, I ran many ministries over there with, 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 you know, teaching and Bible college and singles. We had like 600 singles in my singles ministry. Can you imagine? That's the most volatile group in any, in any ministry is 600 singles. Get you to handle 600 singles every Friday night, you know? But here's the thing. I've been a part of big churches. I've been a part of small churches. I've been a part of big ministries and big movements. And I've been a part of small movements. But one thing always remains. People can get upset with a church and they, they say, oh, that person's not anointed. That person, ah, the Lord doesn't speak through him. Well, I have a hard time here with this church of Corinth of these people not listening to what Paul says. This is the Apostle Paul, for goodness sakes. Who else are you going to hear? I mean, you sit here and you look at Paul, the Apostle. This is the Apostle Paul. Ah, he doesn't have the anointing. <laughs> really. He's written 13 books of the New Testament, for goodness sakes. I'd say maybe, just maybe, the issue isn't Paul, but maybe it's you, Alex. Not Alex. I'm sorry, there's just a name that I use at Alex. I'm sorry, I didn't mean Alex Gusello. <laughs> Alex Smith. So if you're listening to this, Alex Smith, it's you, man. <laughs> I'm sorry. I heard somebody use the name Alex one time, using something along that line, and, and I, I'm sorry, Alex. I don't mean to point you, Alex, out. I don't want to highlight Alex in this room here today. Alex, uh, just joking. But maybe the problem's you, not Alex, but <laughs> someone else, you, not you, but others. Oh, that pastor, he doesn't, he doesn't know how to teach. Well, that's the Corinth. Corinthian believers could have done the same thing. In fact, I think they were doing that. And Paul says, listen, when I came, when I came to you, I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So what fault do I have? I came here for three and a half years. I've been ministering to you. And guess what? You still haven't caught on. He says, and I, brethren, verse three or verse one of chapter three, I, brethren, I couldn't speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal. I couldn't speak to you guys as people who were being influenced and being directed and being led by the Holy Spirit. I had to speak to you guys as worldly people because that's who you were being led by. And mind you, Everyone in this room, you're being led by someone. You're either being led by the Holy Spirit or you're being led by the world. And I know that that might be offensive to you, but you know what? There's only two paths. You're either for the Lord or you're against the Lord. There is no middle ground. And, and, and so here's the thing. Paul says, I had to speak to you not as to spiritual, but as to worldly, carnal people. 
even so much more, even like babes in Christ, like you're a brand spanking new believer. Now, you've been a believer for three years. Or he could be saying, you've been a, a believer for 17 years. You've been a believer for 35 years. And you know what? That happens. There have been people that have been believers for a long time. And yet, it's like something hasn't clicked. And Paul says, I still can't speak to you as a spiritual. I, I have to speak to you as a worldly person. Because you're still a baby in Christ. And, and what it is that you are, as I showed you last week, and I won't do it again, I won't do that to you again, by showing you that, that adult baby. But it was a picture. It's a picture that is not right. It's, it's a picture that's an aberration. It's something that isn't natural. And so that uh, 30-year-old man is still dressing in a diaper, being bottle-fed. Paul's saying, that's what's happening in the church. Adults that have been with the Lord for 30 years, you're still being bottle-fed. He goes, that's how I have to speak to you. I, it, you know, it's a problem if I go into my son's room to wake him up in the morning and go, hey, hey, Kopaki. <laughs> wake up! Wake up, buddy, 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 buddy! <laughs> and tickle him on the neck. Now, if I have to do that to him, he's got a problem. Now, if I go in there and go, dude, wake up, it's time to go. Well, ah, you're waking up, he's getting old. Come on, man, I don't want to be late for school, you know. But, but, you know, here's the thing. I didn't do that when he was a little baby, you know. Hey, dude, wake up. It's time for feeding. I didn't say that. I went in and tickled him. He hated that on his little collarbones right there, those little bones right there. He used to just hit him there and every he won't. He still does it. <laughs> he, it's funny. He doesn't do it. He, he fights it now. But here's the thing. When he, was a, when he was a baby, I talked to him that way, but now I don't talk to him like that anymore because that would be embarrassing. That would be, that would be not natural. And, and Paul's saying, I'm having to come in and tickle your neck, guys. And, and, and that's not natural. That's not the way I should be having to come in and approach you. Because there was a time that I fed you with milk, he says in verse 2, and not with solid food. For until now, you weren't able to receive it, and even now you're still not able to receive it. For you're still worldly, you're still carnal. For where there are envy and strife and divisions among you, are, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? You should be beyond that by now, Paul is saying. You should be beyond that in your spiritual life. This shouldn't be a hang-up for you anymore. And then he, he, he addresses the issue that these guys were having problems with. He says, for when one says, well, I listen to Paul, and only what Paul says because he's the anointed one. Or, or another, I only listen to Apollos. I don't listen to Paul. He's not the anointed one. I listen to Apollos. Paul says, are you, are you just not worldly? Are you not worldly? Are you not doing what the world does? I'm of Team Adam. I'm of Team Blake. If you've watched The Voice. You know, here's the thing. Are you not carnal? Are you not carnal? Who then is Paul, he says. Who's Apollos? Who are we, he's saying. Why are you looking at us as if we have anything to do 
With your salvation, we have nothing to do with your salvation. We're simply, look at, he says, we're simply ministers to whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one. Verse 6. Okay, so I planted and Apollos watered. So what? It was God who gave the increase, you see. It was God who gave the increase. So then neither he who plants, I, or he who waters, Apollos, is anything. It's God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. He's going, Apollos and I were anointed by the same Holy Spirit. We speak the same message. We might speak it differently. Apollos was an eloquent man. He was an eloquent speaker. Paul might not have been an eloquent speaker. Paul was probably a little bit more black and white fella. He was... Speak it to your face and say what's on his mind. Apollos might have been a little bit more suave with his words, a little bit more, you know, colorful with, with his ability to, to, to speak. And, and we can see that today. There are some pastors that are very much directed in your face, and then there are others that are, that are very passive, but they, they're both saying the same thing. One just is telling you to get right in a nice way, and the other one's saying, just get right. Suck it up. Do it. Why are, why are we here? You know, I mean, uh, you know, sometimes I love those kinds of pastors. And sometimes I like the others too. Because I like to, to hear the grace. Sometimes the law comes in. Sometimes the grace comes in. But it's always filtered with one or the other. Here's the thing. He goes, he says, listen, now he who plants, he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. That word reward there in the Greek is misthos, misthos, and it literally means a wage. It's something that you earn. It's something that you have earned for yourself. And I know that as a believer, um, if you were here for the men's Bible study, and you gals obviously weren't, but uh, we have a men's Bible study in here on Thursday night, we actually got into a discussion about this. Not, not this exact passage, but actually it was the subject matter that we're talking about here. Talking about, you know, the Bema seat judgment, you know, when that's going to be, what's going to happen there, you know, is that a judgment seat of, you know, that we see in, in the book of uh, Revelation chapter, you know, 19, you know, is that, a, is that a judgment seat of salvation? Is it a judgment seat of determining who's going to go to heaven and who's not? No, the Bema seat judgment is not that. It's, it's basically a reward seat. It's a, it's a, re, it's a judgment seat for rewards, Everyone who stands before the Bema seat judgment is, is already saved. It's the rewards that you're going to get. And, and then we, we got into the discussion, and, and there always is, and I'm a part of that, and you have probably been a part of that. Listen, I don't care about rewards in heaven. I just want to serve the Lord. I just want, I just want to be there. That's where I want to be. And yet, Jesus himself says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust destroy or where thieves break in and steal so it's not a bad thing to lay up you know you know rewards for yourself in heaven it's it's not something that you're you're doing necessarily that is 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 you know self-gratifying you're doing it because you're honoring and blessing the lord you're blessing the lord you know the idea of well you're going to get you know crowns for those things those rewards well, we also read 
that we'll take those crowns and we'll cast them right back at the feet of Jesus because we're not worthy of those things. It's the Lord. We're going to cast those rewards right back before the Lord. So why the rewards? Well, the rewards are that Paul is saying, hey, those are the things that we should be looking out after, that the rewards of heaven, not the rewards in the eyes of men, but the rewards in the eyes of the Lord. It, it's, it's much like a football team. And I, I like to you know, illustrate football because I, I played for you know, quite a few years and, and it was one of those things that you know, taught me a lot about life. If, if you excelled on the football team, you know, if, if I went out and hit someone really, really, really hard and, and I jacked up the rest of the team because I did it, am I doing it for me or am I doing it for the team? If I break a tackle and score a touchdown, did, did I do it? For myself or did I do it for the team? Now, we know those that do it for themselves, right? We know some of those guys that are out there. Hey, I play for me. It's me. It's about me. And you sit there and it, it makes you almost stomach sick when you think and you hear of some of these guys out there propping themselves and sitting there and, and puffing themselves up. The narcissistic nature that we have in our today's sports is, is alarming. It's about me. You know, I, I always crack up at the guy that goes into the end zone and says, you know, says, hey, it's Lord, Lord, but look at me, look at me. And then, then, and then they turn back attention, look at me, I'm awesome, I'm awesome, you know. And you're going, wow, you've got a little bit of a skewed mind on who you're doing what for. I mean, when you do something well for your team, are you not doing it for the sake of the team? You're... If you get accolades for it, well, okay, that's good. I never played for the player of the week. I didn't play so that I could become player of the week. I never played football so that I could be honored at the end of a week or at the end of the season for most valuable player. I never played for that. I played for the team. I played. Now, if those things came, hey, right on. It's neat. Got some trophies, got some awards, got some things like that. That's neat. But that was, that's nothing compared to doing it for the team. And and, and so as a Christian, the rewards that are going to come, you're doing it for the team. Well, I, I don't really care about all those rewards. What about the team? Do it for the team. Jesus says, let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify you out of your socks. No, that's not what it says, does it? It says, let your light so shine before men as a believer that men would see your good works and then turn around and glorify your Father in heaven because It's not about you. It's about your life is being dedicated and lived for God and he's the one that's getting the glory. I love guys like that. I love players like that. That that sit there and, and, and the accolades begin to come and they just shy away from the accolades. And they say, hey man, it was for the team. And you know which ones are genuine and which aren't, don't you? We all do. We hear it in an interview. You hear maybe the false you know, uh, 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 
uh, what's the word I'm trying to use? The, the, the false uh, uh, um, humility of some people. But then there's others that you just go, that is one of the most humble guys I've ever met in my life. Or gals. And here's the thing. As a believer, we're to be living our lives to store up for ourselves treasures in heaven. Why? Well, because Jesus said to do it. Paul says to do it. Were you like teaching this health and wealth? No. I'm not talking about the here and now of, of all the things that I can attain here on the earth. That's not what it's about. It's about laying up for myself treasures in heaven. I want to be a wealthy guy in heaven. Not for me, but for the Lord. Because I have done what it is that God's called me to do. That's what it is. It's not a self-indulging you know, reward. It's a team reward where I'm coming and doing and living my life for the pleasure of God. He says, listen, he who plants, verse 8, he who plants and he who waters, they're one. Each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field and you are God's building. Building. Okay, now Paul begins to use an illustration here of a building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me, verse 10, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it, but let each one take heed how he builds on the foundation. I want you, this is a very important verse. I'm going to come back to it, but we're going to read the rest of the chapter, but I'm going to emphasize some of these things on the way. But verse 11 is the essence of our life here today in this message. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation, what foundation? The foundation, which is Jesus Christ, with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work, which he has built on it, endures, he'll receive a reward. Paul's talking about rewards. He's talking about jewels in heaven. He's talking about the rewards that are going to be given to you and to I as believers in heaven. If anyone's work, verse 15, is burned, well, he's going to suffer loss, but he himself is going to be saved, yet so is through fire. So he's going, this isn't, I'm not talking about a salvation issue here. I'm talking about a heavenly issue of reward here. There's going to be some that are going to have a lot of wood, hay, and stubble that's going to be on that platform, on that foundation that's going to be tested by the fire of the Lord. And what will remain is, whatever remains is going to be of the precious stones, of the gold and the silver. That's what's going to remain. And then he says in verse 16, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God's going to destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it's written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Therefore, let no one glory in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul's or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours. 
and you are Christ, and Christ is God's. I'm going to focus not so much on the very last half of the passage, but I'm going to focus on this. Listen, the foundation. Paul talks about you are, I am, we are God's building. He says it there in verse 16, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Paul says there in a, in a chapter, uh, or in the same chapter here, he says uh, that in verse 9, you are God's building. He says in verse 10, according to the grace which God has given to me, as a master builder, I'm a master builder. He uses the illustration of a building. He uses the illustration of a building. A building is built upon a foundation. If the foundation is good, the building will last. If the building is, if the foundation is bad, well, the foundation will be, uh, if the foundation is bad, then the building will be bad. Um, he says in verse 11, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is in Jesus Christ. Now, um, as we look at this foundational issue, the foundation that we build on, we can look at it in three different applications. Number one, we can look at it as the church corporately, and that would be kind of the church as a whole. Not just Calvary Chapel, but Calvary Chapel, every other church in all of Sarasota, all the other churches in the United States and in all of the world that call upon the name of the Lord is the church. Okay, that's the church corporately. The church corporately, no other foundation can be laid than that which is Jesus Jesus Christ. The foundation is Jesus Christ. Speaking of the church corporately, the whole of the church, if the church might have the name church on the door... I remember John MacArthur talking a long time ago. Somebody had asked him the question. It was probably eight, nine, ten years ago. I'm not a big MacArthur fan, but I thought that this was a, a, a great statement that he, that he said. And he said this. He said, so he was in a question and answer period in a preach the word conference out in California at, at Harvest Christian Fellowship that Greg Laurie had had. And he was on the stage with Chuck Swindoll and him and Jack, Mac, uh, 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 Jack McDonald and... and uh, 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 James McDonald and Greg Laurie, and these guys were answering questions from the crowd. And the crowd asked, you know, John MacArthur, um, there are a lot of churches out there that are teaching, and, and I can't remember exactly how he phrased the question, but he was asking, you know, it's kind of teaching a lot of rubbish, and they've taken your name. Does that bother you? You know, Grace Church, the name of his church is Grace Church. He goes, uh, it doesn't bother me that they've taken the name Grace Church. It, it, what bothers is me, you know, it doesn't bother me that they've taken the name Grace. <laughs> it bothers me that they've taken the name Church. The point is, there's a lot of churches out there that are not teaching what the Word of God says. There's a lot of churches out there that do not have the foundation of Jesus Christ as being their foundation, their sure foundation. He's not the chief cornerstone in their foundation. He's not what the church builds on. They build on social, you know, advancement. They build on equality. They build on tolerance. But where is Jesus in the midst of that? Well, he's somewhere along on the list, but he's not the foundation. We want to be known as the church of all-inclusiveness. You know, there was a church actually here in Sarasota, and I believe it was like back in 1985, and I didn't prepare it for this, but I've used it before. I think it was back in 1985. There was a church here in Sarasota named, no lie, for reals, 
the first non-judgmental church of Sarasota. Let that sink in for just one second. The first non-judgmental church of Sarasota. In their name, they're judging every other church. Every other church is judgmental, but we're not. Just their name is just wrong. The first non-judgmental church of Sarasota, come to us. We don't judge anyone except for every other church that's out there. We teach the truth and no one else does. But we don't judge, so come. It's like people get confused on what they've built their foundation on. They get confused on what they're building their foundation on. And so the corporate church can get confused on what their foundation is. If it's something other than Jesus Christ and crucified, it's not a church. You understand that? If a church is built on any other foundation than Jesus Christ, they need to remove the word church because it's not a church. Oh, it might be according to the tax laws, the IRS tax laws called a church, but not in the biblical sense of the word. It's not a church because it's not founded and based upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. And so corporately, we look at the whole of the church being bound, or being bound to or rooted to or being attached to the foundation, which is Christ. And so in as much as this passage will speak to us on one application of the church corporately, it also speaks to the church locally, and that would be more specific to us as a church. Calvary Chapel, right here, 3650 Weber Street. It's us. Is the Lord Jesus Christ the foundation of this church? Is what we do always rooted in and attached to the foundation, which is Jesus? If it's not, then that is an event, that is a, 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 a ministry that is not granted nor approved of the one whom this church was built upon. And, and, and I remember many years ago, when I was still over in Fort Lauderdale, um, uh, and I was heading up the singles, I said, it's the most volatile group of, of the church. And, and, I mean, hormones are racing and people want to get married. And, and it becomes, you know, every Friday night, we had a, a band and we had a barbecue. And then I, I gave about a 15, 20 minute devotion and, and altar call, people would get saved, and, and, and it was neat. We had anywhere from four to 800 people every single week in the parking lot. And, and, and one of the guys came with a couple of other people. I won't use his name, lest he get this. But he came and he had a button. He had a, he had a shirt. He had a, what do you call it? A, a, not, what's the... the the, what's the old thing? The mohawk? What? Mullet. Thank you. Somebody said mullet. Someone said mullet. Yeah, he had the mullet, man. He was big time mullet. He had gold chains hanging down. He had his shirt buttoned down to here. He was tan. Bleached his hair blonde. And he says, hey, hey, Pastor Don, we need to have a dance. I'm like, yeah, I don't think so. I don't, I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't think we're going to have a dance. He goes, no, no. The last pastor that was here, the last singles pastor that was here, he had a dance. Hey, yeah, I know. But I'm not Chris. I just am me, and I, I just don't see having a dance. 
for our singles here. It's just a 50s dance, man. We've got to have a dance. I mean, we've got to have a dance. I'm going, nah, I don't think so. I don't think so. Well, Pastor Bob came to it, you know, who was the senior pastor at the time over there in Calvary, Fort Lauderdale. Pastor Bob came to it. I said, yeah, still not going to do it. And he got angry. He says, I demand that you hand out three by five index cards to everyone out here and you have them put a yes or a no on there on whether they want to have a dance. And I said, the man's name? I said, you know, the last time I saw that that happened in Scripture, they built a golden calf. (laughs) I don't think we're going to do that. I think we're going to do that. And he got angry. He says, I'm going to go to Pastor Bob. I said, you go to Pastor Bob. This might be my last week of ministry here, but we're not going to have a dance. And, And I remember going to Bob later on that week and and saying hey bob you're going to probably uh it was early next week you know i said bob you're going to get probably a a group of singles coming in here you know bellyache and then i'm not going to have a dance but hey man that's not me man i'm not going to have a dance they're not not with me heading up the singles i know that the other the other pastor that i took over for here he did and i know you came and i know that that's been a part of the discussion that you were there I said, but you know what? Not me. And if you want to have a dance, you need to take me out of that ministry. I'm not going to have it because I cannot see how God's going to get glorified in a 50s dance with guys dressing up in 50s outfit with rolled up cigarettes in their, in their T-shirts, singing and dancing to a single woman who's not his wife. I found my thrill on Blueberry Hill. I can't see how Christ is being glorified in it. And Bob, he went, oh, I'm so glad you feel that way. I felt so pressured to do it last year, and I blew it. I blew it, and I knew I never felt good about it. I never felt good. I did go. I tried to make myself want to like it, and I didn't like it. I'm glad you got the backbone you have. No, I'm behind you, man. I'm behind you a whole hundred percent. You don't have to have it. Here's the thing. Having a Christian singles dance. Is there anything wrong with dancing? And I shared that with the guys. There's nothing wrong with dancing. There's nothing wrong with Christians dancing. But as a church-related function, a church function that is sitting here going, are we founded upon Christ? Are we making disciples? And that's the thing that, that Bob had shared with me that has stuck with me and I hope sticks with you and you hear this and it sticks with you for the rest of your life. He says, we put these little fictitious goggles on, these binoculars on, and we have to look through these binoculars and we have to ask ourselves, anytime we in, 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 enter into any or we... we um, we entertain an idea of some sort of a ministry. We have to put these spiritual binoculars on and ask, are we making disciples? And I'm thinking, what a great litmus test for every ministry that ever is done at a church. Are disciples being made? Oh, well, people would come to that. Stop. Don't justify the means to get to an end. Christ never did that. The end never justifies the means. I'm going to go out and get toasted with a bunch of people and then I'm going to, while I'm toasted, I'm going to preach Christ to them and five people got saved. I'm not saying that Christ can't use things like that, but He's not calling you to do that. 
Paul says, I've become all things to all men that I might win some. And so I became a, a junkie. I became, I became a John to prostitutes because I would go and sleep with them and then, and then preach to them. And they'd get saved. Yeah, I'm going to say Jesus didn't call you to do that. Your flesh did. Where's the foundation? And so when we look at any ministries here, and I'm sorry I just stuck that in your mind. I didn't mean to, but here's the thing. The foundation of anything that we do here and of this church, we have to look, is our foundation rooted in Jesus Christ? Is the meaning, is the reason for why we're doing what we're doing based on Christ and Him crucified? Is this what, what, what He would do if He was in this position saying, hey, let's go forward or let's not do that? We have to be looking at that. And in as much as this passage is speaking to the church corporately as a church as a whole throughout all the world of those who call upon the name of the Lord or, and as, also as this is, is talking about to the church locally as it pertains to us individually as a church, <clears throat> it also applies one more way and that's individually to us. We are all the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul just said here in verse 16. Do you not know that you are the temple of God? Do you not know that you are the temple of God? When you walk out into the world, you are the church. You might be the only church that anybody ever sees. You might be the only temple that anybody ever sees. You might be the only Jesus that anybody ever sees. Who are you in the world? Is your foundation rooted in Christ? I, I got a couple pictures here that Nathan's going to show up here on the board. Um, here, this is a picture here that I, I kind of threw up here. This guy... Feels pretty secure, even though amidst, you know, this is a picture of that lighthouse where these huge waves are coming over the lighthouse and the guy's standing out there. I think he probably dipped back in after that, that picture real quick. I'm thinking that water's probably going to seep in there. I don't know. That's a pretty freaky picture to me. But here this guy looks pretty calm. In the midst of a huge, huge, huge beating wave, he's standing on the rock. He's, he's got a good foundation there. He's feeling pretty secure. The, uh, go to the, to, the, to the one that has the foundation with the spires going down into the ground. This is a foundation of a typical high-rise building. A, a, a high-rise building will be built upon the top of this. And so uh, what you see here in this picture, the, the light brown section there is the actual grade of the surface. And then the black line uh, that you see there is, is the, is the uh, just under surface. And the gray area is, the, is kind of the soft dirt. And then the rock that you see is the, the rock that those foundation pilings are going down and being drilled into in order to be there. Now, the building, the largest, tallest building in the world is the building over in Dubai. It's called the Burj Khalifa. It used to be called the Burj Dubai its foundation, these pilings right there that you see, are five, feet, five and a half feet in diameter. And they shoot down through the ground 18 stories. 18 stories. 177 feet is what they do. And there's just multiple of them. And, 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 and the foundation actually goes out beyond the, the scope of the building it's down there to hold this thing up because the ground over there in Dubai is sandy. And so they had to go down deep in order to hit the bedrock. And so the question is, and I, I, as I was researching it, how far do pilings go down for large skyscrapers? And, and the answer is, 
it, it's a different depth for every skyscraper because it depends on how far down below the surface you actually hit bedrock. The point is, you have to hit bedrock. You can't build a building on shifting sand. Go to the tower. Who knows what that is? It's the leaning tower of Pisa. Or as I always thought, it was pizza. Leaning tower of pizza. Is that where Uncle Howie's is located or something? But here's the thing. There's a nice little plug for Uncle Howie's. Um, hungry, oh, <laughs> Hungry Howie's. <laughs> well, it wasn't a plug for anyone then, was it? <laughs> This tower of Pisa was built to, to uh, be a freestanding bell tower for the cathedral that's there in Pisa. Do you know that this building, it took 344 years to build, starting in August of 1173. Five years after it began to be built in 1178, once the second floor began to be constructed, the whole building began to lean due to one side sinking into the soft ground. They were building a building on soft ground. They were building a building on a foundation that couldn't hold the building. The building took 344 years to build. They, they actually stopped two different times building the thing. Right after the second floor was built, there was a war that went on and they had to stop. And so there was about a hundred year gap between the two stoppages uh, of this building from being complete. And what they had to do many, many times is to go underneath that building and shore up the building and shore up the sand. In the time that it took those wars to, to happen, they say if it actually would have, if they would have continued to build back in 1178 after it started to lean, before the war started, stopped them, one of the wars had stopped them, if they would have continued to build, it would have fallen over immediately, even before they got done with the building. But because it took such a long time to begin building again after that war, all of the, the, the building had actually sunk into the ground and actually compacted the ground even more. Well, then as they continued to build, they actually had to start pumping cement and start pumping things down under it in order to give it some sort of a foundation. All of this said is this. There's a lot of Christians that are, are, are leaning. There's a lot of Christians that are building their life upon very shifting sand. Because you're not building your life upon the true foundation. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's saying. As a wise master builder, anything you build in your life must be first built upon the foundation, which is Christ. Because what you actually show to the world might be small. But what you are attached to is very big. Hit the next slide, Nate. What, what you might show to the world is small. What you are attached to is something big. Like an iceberg, right? You see an iceberg and what you see is, ah, there's a little, you know, snow sticking out of the ocean. I'll barrel through it, said the Titanic captain. Only to find out underneath was a massive, massive mountain of ice that just ripped that thing to shreds. 
Here's the thing. The life that you present, the life that the world sees in you, if you're fixed to Christ, you're not going to fall over, man. You're not going to be hit. You're not going... Listen, when the winds come, if you're fixed on Christ, if the storms come in your life, if you're fixed to Christ, if the, if the hurricanes hit your life because the problems are so huge, guess what? You're not going to topple because you are attached to the firm foundation, which is Jesus Christ. But if you have no firm foundation in Christ, you're a goner, man. You're coming down. Paul says, listen... A mature believer makes sure that they have a foundation, which is Christ. And that's what they build upon. That's what they build upon. And then I got to finish, but he says in verse 16, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Think about that for a second. Look at this. Here's Here's a cool area of Scripture. Jot this down. I don't have time to have you look it up, but 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. Well, I'm going to back up because Peter, two different guys. Paul is speaking in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Peter is speaking here in, in 1 Peter, his letter, um, his first letter. Peter says, therefore, laying aside all malice, verse 1 of chapter 2 of 1 Peter Laying aside all malice, guile, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. Isn't that what Paul was just saying? You're still carnal because where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal? Peter's dealing with the same issue. It kind of sounds like this is, this, this is a sickness that happened to the church back in that time that still remains to this day. He says, therefore, laying aside all malice, all guile, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking... As newborn babies, desire the pure milk of the word of God that you may grow thereby. If indeed you've tasted that the Lord is gracious. And then look at what he says. Coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, Peter says, as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it's contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion, a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him, Jesus Christ, will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he's precious, but to those who are disobedient, Listen, here's what Scripture says to you, that the stone, Jesus Christ, which the builders rejected, has become the chief cornerstone. And he's become a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Here's the thing. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him, Jesus Christ, who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, You once were not a people, but now you are a people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now you have obtained mercies. Do you see what he said there? You have been chosen by God as a living stone, a living stone being built up into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Here's the thing. Guys, you and I are nothing more than just a brick in the wall. We're a brick in the wall. 
You think that, that David Gilmore from Pink Floyd came up with that? Peter came up with that. That's what Satan is. He's a stealer, man. He rips off, he rips off things. Nike came up with just do it. No, they ripped off David. David told his son, God has chosen you, Solomon, to build a house. Be strong and do it. You remember their phrase, just do it? They got it from King David. There's nothing new under the sun, but Satan robs the holiness of what God is doing in men's and women's lives in his realm, in his, in his spiritual home, in his spiritual house. He's doing a work in you. And here's the thing. You are a precious stone to the Lord. You are a part of his plan. And I've got to finish, but here, I want you to not miss this. I want you not to miss this. How do we end? God has a plan and a purpose for you. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you think your occupation is as a part of that spiritual house. Know this. You are a part of the spiritual house if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. If he has saved you of your sins, if you have come to him and you've cast yourself upon his mercy, Lord, I am a sinner and I deserve nothing but hell and death But God, you came and sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for me. And for that reason and that reason only, I can find hope in you because I cast myself before you. I need your mercy. I need your grace. I need your salvation. You come to the Lord with that humility, with that heart, and he says, of course, child, you're mine. You're my child. Now you are a living stone of mine. You are a part of my temple. You are a, you're a part of the brick in the wall of my church that I'm building. I, I'm building up a home. I'm building up a house. I'm building up a kingdom. And you're a part of it. And here's the thing. You are a part of it. You have a job to do. You have a project to be done. Here's the thing. God has handpicked you to represent him in this day. Let's not cower away from it, guys. Let's recognize that God has handpicked each and every one of us individually, locally as a church, corporately as a body of believers throughout the world. But when we specifically look at our own life, you have a plan, you have a purpose that God has for your life. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. Today is a new day. Bible tells us that God's mercies are new every single morning. Praise the Lord. Isn't that a great statement? God's mercies are new every morning for me, for you, for us. Here's the thing. The worst thing that can happen is for us to to hide what God has called us to do under a bushel. No, don't do that. There's a song we all learned back when we were little kids. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Hide it under a bushel? No, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel? No, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel? Mm -mm. No, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Don't let Satan hit out. I'm going to let it shine. The point is, listen, you're a light for the Lord. Don't hide it under a bushel. Don't allow Satan to, you know, puff you out. God has a plan and a purpose for you. 
Worst thing that can happen on a house. We're about to build a house. My in-laws and I and my wife, we're going to, we're selling our house and we're going to build a house locally here on Fruitville Road. Can you imagine if the guys who set the trusses for our roof, they just choose not to show up? They just choose not to show up. The house is being built, but yeah, the roof guys did never show up. So you're going to live in a house without a roof. It doesn't make sense. Every aspect of that house needs to have every piece completed or it's not a house. You are a part of that process in God's kingdom, in the house that God is building. Don't ever look at yourself in the eyes. Don't ever look at yourself in the eyes through a mirror and say, yeah, God can't use me. Because you know what? God can use you and God will use you, but you've got to allow him to do it. You've got to recognize, I don't care how much you screwed up in your life, God is there to forgive you and to restore you and to get you back on the path to do and to fulfill the calling in your life. Do it. Don't let Satan keep you down, man. Don't let your own self put yourself under a bushel so that, so that people can't see what God wants to do in your life because you are doing exactly what that roofer would be doing. You're hiding. You're keeping away from what it is that God is going to do through your life. You've got to allow God to use you. You've got to recognize that you are a living stone and God is building you up a holy priesthood. He's building up a spiritual house and you're a part of it. Do you understand that? Today, I pray, Father, oh Lord, that I know that as we've taken a little bit extra time here today, Lord, it, we look at your foundation. We look at the, the foundation that we're building on as we consider our own individual lives. I've looked at the church corporately. I've looked at the church locally. But now, Lord, as we look at our own individual lives, can we honestly take a a true assessment of our life, an honest assessment of our life and see our own life and say, am I being used to the Lord the way that he would have me to be used? Is the foundation on which I'm living my life really Jesus or is it something else? I may not have a, a prayer life. I don't pray. I don't read the Bible. I don't, I don't really even talk to people about the Lord. I'll, I'll say every once in a while, hey, I'll, I'll pray for you. And that's about the extent of my Christian walk. And Lord, I know how I feel like I've, I've, I've let you down a lot. That I haven't fulfilled the things that you've called me to be and called me to do and I've relegated myself down to, hey, I'll pray for you. And that, that's, that's my witness. I pray, God, for every person in this room that, that that kind of guilt and that kind of shame does not hold us back, but that we would recognize our weaknesses and we'd ask you, God, for strength. We'd recognize our failures and not continue to dwell on the failures, but that we would recognize those failures and, and stand up. Begin to build this house. Build the house that you've called us to build. To fulfill the ministries with which you've called us to fulfill. And every single individual that is listening to this message right now, 
has a call and a purpose on their life for you. And I pray, God, that our individual lives will first be founded upon the foundation, which is none other than Jesus Christ. And then, Lord, we're going to open up your word. We're going to seek your face in prayer. We're going to get around other believers. And we're going to walk. We're, gonna dwell on the, we're not going to dwell on the past of the failures that have happened, but Lord, we're going to only look to today and tomorrow and in the future. I can't do anything about yesterday, but I can do something about today. And today I'm going to submit myself into your hands, Lord. I want to do over. I want to do over. I want to start over. I want to start fresh right now. I want to I I know that I'm useful in your hand. I want to know that... Your word says that from the foundations of the world, you, you chose me from before the foundation of the world. You didn't choose me simply to be a failure in life. You didn't choose me to simply dwell on, on what I can't do in life and, and be non-effective for you. No, Lord, you chose me because you wanted me to do something for you. You had a plan, you had a purpose for me. And my fear... My weaknesses, my vices, the things that I've allowed to cloud my view have gotten in the way of being all that you've called me to be and today I surrender them to you. I surrender them to you, Lord. I don't want to do that anymore. I want, I want, to, I want my life to count. From this day forward, I want my life to count for you. I want to be a true living stone for you. Man, if that's your prayer, pray that. God, I pray that every single one of us have prayed that prayer. God, help us to be all that you have desired us to be, firmly rooted and grounded in you. For when the winds come and the storms come, we will stand secure because we have been built on the rock, you tell us. It doesn't shake us because we haven't been built on shifting sand. We lift our lives to you, Lord. I lift these precious saints to you. And I pray, God, that time that we've spent here, I know it's a little bit extra time, but I pray that the time that we have spent here today, you will have done something miraculous in maybe one life, maybe just one life, that we realize that, God, you have a big plan for us. We're going to follow it. We're going to try to find out what that is. And the excitement of life begins right now when I open my eyes and I walk out of this building because this is a new day. And I will rejoice and be glad it. Because God, you've forgiven me of everything past. And you've set before me a new life. In Jesus' name, amen.